Well, hey, grab your Bible. If you don't have one or own one, there's one in the pew back. That's our gift to you today. Take that as you leave. Turn to the New Testament book of Colossians or the index page if you need that. No shame in that game. And give your attention to the reading of God's word today. Colossians 3, like he said, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Westside. We're glad that you're here as we are continuing in the journey through the book of Colossians. And if it's your first time here, we normally just go through books of the Bible sort of line by line, word by word. And what we've said is, is that Colossians teaches us that it is all about Jesus. And that what we need in order to follow Jesus faithfully is we need a clear view of Jesus. Who is this Jesus? A lot of people talk about Jesus, say that we should give our life to Jesus. But who is this Jesus? And that's what we're spending time on. And this week, we start Colossians chapter 3, which is sort of um, a pretty big point in the letter and in the book. And things sort of um, shift a little bit. So what I want to do is um, look at sort of a little bit of a review and outline the time that we've spent together and there's a real simple way that you can outline the book of Colossians. Chapter 1 um, was really about proclaiming the gospel. I mean, that was, he is the image of the invisible God. It was the Apostle Paul saying, this is who God is. This is who God's son Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. This is who we were before Jesus. And this is what he's done. It was a proclaiming the gospel message. And then chapter 2 was about protecting the gospel. And the Apostle Paul corrected um, a bunch of false teaching. He had statements like, let nobody take you captive or see that nobody judges you. And what was interesting about that was is we said that, that the greatest threat to the gospel, um, the greatest threat to the gospel is not outside the church. But what we see in the letters of the New Testament is is that it creeps its way inside the church. And and what the great um, false teaching was, it wasn't some reject Jesus and bow to this golden image right now and all of like what we would think, oh, temptation to reject the gospel. What was the equation was to add something to Jesus. The false teachers were saying, sure, Jesus is good, the Bible's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's all good, okay? It's good, but you also need to have Jesus and obedience. And, and we said, oh, hey, hey, obedience is a great thing. Jesus gives us commands, um, obedience brings blessing. But here's what the false teachers were doing. They were flipping the equation. And they were saying things like, um, if you obey, then God will love you. And, and that's a false gospel. The gospel is God loves you in Christ, so now you're free to obey. And, and that's what was so important about protecting the gospel. And now what we see in chapters 3 and 4, chapter 3 is sort of like this hinge that it swings on is about practicing the gospel. What does this now look like in our everyday life? And listen, the Apostle Paul breaks it down. I mean, later on in chapter 3, he talks about this is what it looks like as a church family. And then he says husbands and wives and then parents and then at your workplace and everything. But listen, here's why it's important to view this this way. We always want to jump to this. 
We always want to jump to, um, how does this affect my marriage? Or how can I help parenting my kids? Or, you know, my boss, oh, my boss, and all this stuff. We want to know about practicing the gospel. But the reality is, is we need to know this long before we ever put anything into practice. And, and this is a pattern that we see in Paul's letters, that he never starts with us. He never starts with, um, hey, behave this way and do this. He always starts with Jesus and what he has done for us. And, and to set these four verses up, it's really important that we spend time in these four verses today because the rest of the letter, sort of these famous verses, put off all of this stuff. And, and, and if you just look there in your Bible, um, starting in verse 5, he says things, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, put on. It's in this like change behavior language. And we're really interested in that. I mean, people are all trying to change constantly. If you go um, to a bookstore, which those actually exist. Bookstores are still a thing now, right? You don't even have to order one online. You can go into a store. But the largest section is the self-help section. Everybody's trying to change. Everybody's trying to do that. And what we think is, change my behavior. Change my behavior. But Paul actually sort of gives us a new insight today. And, and maybe this will help. Um, I grew up the youngest of four boys in our home, and my dad was a pastor my whole life. Um, but I didn't come to know Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus until um, later on in college. Um, I sort of lived and chose um, a different lifestyle. I don't have the excuse. I can't say like, oh, my parents never loved me, or I never had this, or I never had that. That's why I lived this way. Um, I was just really dumb for a long season in my life, okay? Made a lot of really poor choices, right? Um, but I'll never forget a pivotal moment in my life when things were just falling down around me and I just refused uh, to submit my life to Christ. I was having a conversation with my dad and I was in this season in my life and I had done so good in college that they had asked me not to come back. They were like, you're not coming back here. And things were falling down around me and um, I was still living at home at the time. And my dad sat me down and he said, hey, listen, um, you know that you weren't raised this way. And, and, and in this family, you, you can't do some of these things. Like, you can't just not come home for three days. Like that's, like, that's just not how it works here. This is who we are as a family. And, and we've raised you this way. Jason, this life, I'll never forget this. Jason, this life that you're pursuing is not who you are. That's not the life that you should live. And I'll, ne I'll never forget, I said, I can't believe that you're kicking me out, kicking me out of the house. And I'll never forget what my dad said. My dad said, no, sir. You are choosing to leave because this is not who you are, Jason. This is not who we've raised you to be. Um, what the Apostle Paul is doing in these verses today is exactly that. Long before we get to change your life and put this off and don't do this, what the Apostle Paul does is, well, actually, the rest of the letter hinges on verse 1. This is Paul's thesis for the rest of the letter. If then you have been raised with Christ. That's it. For the rest of the letter... Everything hinges on this. If you've been raised with Christ, husbands, this is how you love your wife. If you've been raised with Christ, wives, this is how you love your husbands. If you've been raised with Christ, parents, do this. Children, everything hinges 
on this identity statement. Because listen, here's what we say at Westside. What you believe determines how you behave. You see, we think that it's all about behavior. Parents, please listen up. This is massively important. As a parent, your greatest failure would be to focus on behavior modification. Just around me, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Now, there's things, we've got to behave certain ways, man. There's, there's good choices that we can make. The goal as a parent is heart transformation. Because from the heart flows everything else. And so today, the thrust of these verses and what the Apostle Paul is saying and what our thesis today is, is simply this. Pursue the life Jesus has already purchased for you. Pursue the life that Jesus has already purchased for you. It's that thrust. It's not do these things and then you can have this life. What Paul is saying is Jesus has already provided. The way that my father sat me down at that table and said, listen, Jason, you have a life available to you, but you're choosing not to pursue it. And listen, we've been getting a lot of feedback from you guys going through this series, and especially last week, um, my wife was saying that at the women's thing, there were some ladies at the table who said, I always thought, I always thought that the gospel and the church and the relationship with Jesus was behave, behave, behave this way. I thought Jesus was so um, focused on my behavior and now I understand that it's about the relationship and my identity and then everything else sort of flows out from that. And so today, what we see as to how to pursue this, Paul tells us two things in, this, in, in these verses. Pursue the right identity and then pursue the right mentality. And listen, can you lean in for just a second? Listen, I firmly believe, um, just like the Apostle Paul said in Acts, that if you believe in the name of Jesus Christ, that you would be freed from everything. That, listen, I believe that whether it's your marriage, your job, or whatever, listen, I firmly believe that it all starts with what we're about to talk about. So, so, so if you could just sort of um, maybe put any preconceived notions that you have aside, and if you could, God forbid, be honest with yourself, okay? It'd be horrible to be honest in church. But if you could just be honest with yourself and then lean into what God has for us, I really believe some things can change. The first thing that we see is this, pursue the right identity. The Apostle Paul starts with this, if you've been raised with Christ, this is who you are. And before we dive into more about who he says who we are in Christ, I think it's helpful to compare and contrast um, who we're not and the identities that we struggle with. Listen, the next time that you sort of hear yourself, maybe introduce yourself to somebody, or we always say like, hey, I'm so-and-so, and this is, who, this is what I do. We always pursue other false identities. Long before anything else, we pursue, well, I am what people think of me. So, you know, if I'm having community group at my house, or if anybody comes over to my house, everything's got to be perfectly right. And my kids, they, you know, they need to look a certain way. And anytime we go out in public, if somebody says, oh, man, you got a hole in your jeans, then you live for three days and nights. Oh, my goodness, they think my kids don't have enough clothes. And, or it's, I mean, it's just constantly what people think. And I'll never forget somebody saying, um, if you live for people's applause, you'll die at their criticism. And this life is exhausting, right? Or how about this? I am my performance. 
I am, I am my hard work and what I can do and what I can provide. And I can show people I'm a hard worker and I can provide for this and I can do all of these things. And listen, I think what the past year and a half and what COVID has done is it's revealed all of these things in our lives. It's exposed everything because we weren't maybe uh, uh, able to be around people. Um, Work and things have changed. And what we've realized is I find my security and my identity in life as to what I can provide. Or how about this? I am my possessions. So I've worked hard my whole life and I grew up and I didn't have anything. And now, by God, I got that boat with that dually and them extra four tires on the back. And I got, and praise God for, I'm so glad you got that stuff. That's awesome. If you got a boat, I would love a ride. Okay, and all that good stuff, okay? But listen, if you point to those things and say, I'm valuable because of that, um, You'll live a life of fear and anxiety that those things can constantly go away. Or how about this? I am my positions. So, you know, I went to school all those years and I've got that. Um, You know, I'll never forget being around another pastor. And um, he was speaking at an event and I introduced him. And he was a doctor. He had a doctorate. And I didn't say doctor. And he got up there and he said, thank you. So, you know, I'm so glad to be there. Son, you forgot two letters in front of my name. I was like, you're gross, dude. Like, you might as well just sit down. I don't think anybody's about to hear anything that you're about to say, okay? But listen, we laugh at that, but, you know, when it comes to work or, or in our relationships, I'm always the position of authority. And, and, and even in church and even at my women's table or my men's table, I'm the one giving the advice and I don't let anybody. It's always about the positions or, how about this? Um, I am my past. That's a tough one. That's hard. But can I tell you some good news today? That in Jesus Christ, your past is a part of your story, but it's not your identity. It's a part of your story, but it's not. Listen, you have a choice that your past can define you and you can constantly wallow in it and constantly say the current state of my relationships are because I did this and this happened and all of that. And you can choose to do that or you can choose that your past will refine you and not define you. But, but where do we get that energy? How can we do that? Where does that power come from? It comes from knowing who we are in Christ. And notice in these verses, the Apostle Paul doesn't use any of that language to define who we are. In five verses, he mentions Christ five times in these four verses. Excuse me, four verses. I mean, look at what he says, verse 1. Verse 1, with Christ. Verse 1 again, where Christ. Verse 3, with Christ. Verse 4, when Christ. Verse 4, when Christ appears, with Him. Um, the Apostle Paul is very interested that any time that he talks about Christians, that he makes sure that Jesus is really, really close by. And listen, here's some good news today. Anybody up for some good news? Our identity is not something that we achieve. Our identity is something that we receive. That's the good news of Christianity. If you're not a Christian in here and you're wondering like, man, what's this thing all about? What's this? This is it. We believe that our right standing before God and who we are and our mentality and how we think is not something that we have to earn, but it's something that's gifted to us. It's it's grace. So, So now we dive into the passage. What is our identity in Christ? 
who does Paul say that we are? And, and listen, this is a great list. The first one is this, our identity in Christ. First one, we died with Christ. Drop down and look at verse 3. It says it right there, verse 3, for you have died. Any questions? Right? You're like, we pay him to do this? I mean, it's right there, verse 3, okay? For you have died. Listen, the Bible says um, that there's a supernatural thing that happens. There's a supernatural thing that happens that when somebody hears the good news of Jesus Christ, most of the time, life circumstance, God's been working in their heart and in their mind. Everything's falling down around them. They've, they've been striving, they've been working, and they hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And God opens up their heart and mind. The Bible says, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that you would be saved. That there's a moment of I am no longer going to live my life this way anymore, that I am a sinner, that I understand what that is, and I understand the only way that I can be in a relationship with God is through His Son, with Jesus Christ. The Bible says supernaturally, somehow, that God buries somebody, that, that there's an oldness that passes away and there's a new that comes, that there is the same way that Jesus Christ died on that cross, that there's a crucifixion of the old person with the sin in the past that takes place. But do you know what I think we do? I think, well, maybe this story will help. Um, I worked part-time um, at a funeral home before I came full-time here um, at the church. And I was in-house chaplain. Uh, my father-in-law um, owns the funeral home there in Donovan. And, and, and I loved working with families. Um, I would get to preach funerals for families um, who maybe didn't go to church and really spend time for them and uh, spend time with them and care for them. I enjoyed the time. But there was also a whole lot of other things under that job description that my father-in-law didn't tell me about working in a funeral home, okay? Um, a lot of interesting things. And one day I show up to work and my father-in-law said, um, today's going to be interesting. You're going to enjoy this. And I said, oh, yeah? He said, yeah. Have you ever um, done a disinternment? Oh, a couple people know, okay? I was like, no. And so I went and looked up... Um, what a disinternment is, is somebody's died and they're buried in the ground. And what you do is you dig them up. That's a disinternment, right? And so what had happened was there was a widow and she was getting ready to move away and go into a nursing home. And her husband had passed away before. And so she wasn't going to be there in Donovan. There was nobody, no family around or anything like that. And she wanted her husband to go with her. And so you dig the person up. And then there is cremation that takes place. And let me tell you, there was some interesting stuff. And by the way, if they say, hey, you need a sealed casket, no water will get in, they're lying to you. Okay, I'm just telling you straight up in here. All right, I'm just telling you, okay. But listen, you're saying, what in the world? Jason, does this have to do with it? Listen, listen to me. Listen, oftentimes we live in the past and we live by a false identity because we are constantly digging ourselves up when God has buried us. Many of us are living and digging up what God has already buried, that you have died with Christ. That, listen, all the sins... All the sins that you were to commit, by the way, were already future sins. Here's what fascinates me with Christians. When somebody gets saved and becomes a Christian, they're like, oh man, God has forgiven me of all of my sins. But then when we walk with Christ, we don't believe that God forgives us of the sins that we commit when we're a Christian. 
All of our sins were future sins. And all of those sins have been paid for and buried in the tomb with Jesus Christ. That's the identity, that you've been buried with Christ. The second thing was this. We haven't just been buried with Christ. We're raised with Christ. We're raised with Christ. This is good news, man. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. Verse 1. If then you have been raised with Him. Here's what's interesting. Christianity is so much more than just forgiveness. I think that's what's attractional to the message is that I can be forgiven of my mistakes, of my sins, and of my past. But please listen to me. It is so much more than forgiveness. The good news of the gospel is, is that for those of us who confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, very God from God, very light from light, and that there's no other way to God except through Jesus, and I am a sinner, and I was born a sinner, and my sins separated me from God. But in God's love and kindness, and mercy in Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the life that I could not live, died the death that I deserved, and three days later rose again. And anybody who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will then spend eternity with Him forever. That's the good news, man. And that eternal life starts now. We're not just waiting to get sucked up out of here or something like that. We live that life now. Listen, it's not just forgiveness. It's reward. That now, when God looks at your life, He doesn't see the sin and the past. He sees His Son, Jesus. Listen, Christianity is not just forgiveness. It's also reward that you have now the same standing with the Son. And listen, we want this. Everybody wants a resurrection. Every, and listen, I believe this message. I believe that nothing is so dead that it can't be resurrected. I believe that. I, listen, I believe no matter how dead you think your marriage is, no matter how dead you think that prodigal son and that relationship is, no matter how dead you think any of that is, I believe that if Jesus Christ physically rose from the dead, that God can resurrect anything. That he can resurrect anything. But we don't live like this. I think a lot of us live like Lazarus. Remember Lazarus? Jesus' buddy? Jesus loved Lazarus. Lazarus died. And Jesus goes there to the, the grave and says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus resurrects from the dead, experiences the resurrection power. Jesus raised him from the dead. But then there's this haunting line that Lazarus comes out and he's dressed in grave clothes. And Jesus says this, unbind him, loosen him. You see, I think a lot of Christians live resurrected, but they're still wearing grave clothes. And the good news of the gospel is that it frees us. That, listen, we died with Christ. That's no longer who we are anymore. So listen, when sin pops its head or when temptation comes or when the enemy brings up your past, you say, I'm dead to that. That has a death date on it. And we are raised with Christ. But then the third thing is this, and it's really, really good, that we're secure in Christ. Look at what Paul says there. Um, he says that your life, look at verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life. You know what the Apostle Paul says? You haven't just died, you haven't just raised, but now your life is hidden in Christ, and then he ratchets it up another level with God. 
So, so question. How secure do you think Jesus is with the Father? I think pretty secure, like from all eternity and forever, right? And so listen, oftentimes Christians live in fear and anxiety when it comes to their relationship and their right standing with Jesus. And I get asked all the time as a pastor, you know, I call them gotcha questions because they're real controversial and stuff like that. So they're all, you know, what Bible do you use? Is it got 1611 on it or something like that? And then it's always, hey, um, can you lose your salvation Well, listen, how about this question? Are you saved? Let's start there first. Because if my life is hidden with Christ, with God, and Jesus is really secure, and Paul says that my life is now hidden with him, well, listen, I think this will help. Um, When my wife and I were married, we did what was called uh, unity sand. Have you ever seen that? Like a lot of times at weddings, they do the unity candle, and you've got two candles or two jars of sand, and you pour it to mix it in together so it's one, right? And and there's a meaning behind that. Uh, Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Oneness. That's the goal of marriage, is that the two shall become one. And the blending of the sand, um, the word actually in the Hebrew of the mingling is adod. It's like the mingling of souls. It's It's the oneness there. That's why Jesus says later on in Mark's gospel, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And it symbolizes, like, can I go through and try to pick out and, and get my sand out and keep that sand in there? I mean, I guess if you spend enough time, you could. But the reality is to show that now the two have become one, that they're blended together. Listen, as a Christian, your life is not compartmentalized. It's not like God saved you and now he's kind of disappointed with you. Listen, you can live in security of your relationship with God because of Jesus Christ and what he's done. You don't have to live in fear and anxiety on those things. That it is a growing relationship and it's not just that we've died that we've raised that we're secure it just gets better and better you ready we'll be glorified with christ look at what the apostle paul says verse four when christ who is your life appears hey um by the way good news the whole gospel story is is that jesus is coming back again someday amen Like we talked about that with the kids yesterday. It was so nice outside and we were in the yard and Andy just could not comprehend. She said, what side of the sky is he coming back on? You know, and then she was like, will I know? I was like, baby girl, you're going to know, okay? Like it was just so cool to talk about that with the kids. And I think we forget about that. Like Jesus is coming back. But the Apostle Paul says the end of the story is that we will be glorified with him. Listen, that this life, oh my goodness, that this life is not all that there is. That there's going to be a day where there's no more sickness, there's no more COVID, there's no more death, there's no more tears, there's no more any of that. That Jesus Christ is literally coming back and he's ushering it all in. Listen to me, this is our identity. This is who we are. And you say, Jason, why is that so important? Well, if you turn and and look at the following verses, he says then to put to death what is earthly in you. 
sexual immorality, impurity, all of those things. And here's what we try to do. As Christians, we try to white-knuckle it. And so now I'm going to have the filter on the end. Listen, all those things are good, and, and, and I think you should have all of those things. But listen, it starts with your identity first. That's where change comes from. Maybe this will help. Um, there was a movie a number of years ago that came out called Blood Diamond. And um, it won a ton of Academy Awards. And what it did is it exposed sort of the slave trade and, and the horrible things that are going on there um, in Africa about the diamonds. And the two main characters, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, and then he plays Solomon. And Solomon was working in the mines in the movie. But what happens is these renegades come into a village and they slaughter the men and the women but they kidnap the children for human trafficking. But for the little boys, young little boys, I mean seven, eight, nine years old, they kidnap them and then brainwash them, fill them. I mean, these kids are using heavy, heavy drugs. They're teaching them how to shoot guns and do all of that stuff. And they brainwash them to serve in these armies. And Solomon is trying to find his son the whole movie. Dia. He's trying to find Dia while Leonardo DiCaprio is trying to find this diamond. And it's an awesome compare and contrast. But there's a moment in the movie when Solomon finds his son. And his son, just then, go back to that picture, when he sees him, doesn't recognize him. He's pointing a gun at him. And so what does Solomon do? Solomon does this. Dia, what are you doing? Dia, look at me, look at me, Dia. What are you doing? And he walks toward his son. Realizing that his son doesn't recognize him, he says this. You are Dia Vandi of the Patamundi tribe. You are a good boy. And you love soccer and school. And your mother loves you so much. And she waits by the fire making your favorite red stew. And the new baby waits for you. The cows wait for you. And the wild dog that only minds you, he's waiting for you. Dia, listen to me. I know they made you do bad things. But you are not that boy, Dia. I am your father who loves you. And you are my son. And you will come home with me every time God finds a sinner he says I am your father and you are my son and you are my daughter and that life that you are living is not your life and that is not who you are and you will come home with me that's what changes a life where it is the goodness and kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And I love what John Stott says. I am convinced that our Heavenly Father says the same thing to us every day. My dear child, you must always remember who you are. Do you know why we pursue a life of sin? Do you know why we seek those things out? Because we've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten who we are in Christ and what he offers us. Listen, pursue the life that Jesus has purchased for you. How do you do that? You pursue the right identity. This is who you are. But then there's a second thing. We have to pursue the right mentality, a right way of thinking. The Apostle Paul says in these verses two key words that show us how we pursue this right mentality. Two words, seeking and setting. How do we pursue the right identity and the right mentality? Well, the first thing is this, by seeking. Look at what he says there in verse 1. If you've been raised with Christ, seek 
the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Hey, if you're doing the church-wide Bible reading plan with us, we started Hebrews this week. And so when I was studying my sermon, I was like, oh, seated at the right hand of God. It mentions that in Hebrews. And I love, if you're reading through the Bible, you're going to pick up and get so much more out of stuff. But Paul says, you have to seek that and pursue that out. The phrase literally means keep on continually pursuing. Keep pursuing that. Listen, God has done all the work. Amen? God has done all the work. And the thrust is pursue what He's already provided for you in Christ. But here's the reality. Do you know why we don't seek heavenly things? Listen, you won't seek heavenly things until you're sick of earthly things. That's it. And this is what the Bible talks about now with confession and repentance. The reality is, is we have to be honest with ourselves, is that we've put a lot of stock and a lot of work in the identity that we've built. And so the life that I now live and the way that these relationships function and what I love and what I pursue, I've put my whole life in. And I've had so many conversations with so many people, whether it be somebody struggling with alcoholism, wanting to go off maybe to a connection through John 3 uh, ministries. And every time they look at me and they say, man, I can't do that, I'll lose everything. And I look right back at their eye and I go, you've already lost it. You've already lost it. Everything, whatever control and whatever you think you have now is an illusion. But listen, we do the same thing with our work, with our time. You won't pursue and seek heavenly things until you're sick of earthly things. And we have to confess and be honest to that. How do we pursue the right mentality? We keep seeking. We keep pursuing. And then the second thing is this, by setting. Verse 2, he says, seek it. And then verse 2, set your minds that are on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. You know what Paul says? You have a willful choice. It is an act of the will and of the conscience and of the mind to set your mind on the things that are above. You say, Jason, man, this sounds like pretty heavy, like strong stuff. The Apostle Paul is saying, pursue what's already been provided. And here's the reality. Why? Because nobody drifts towards godliness. Nobody drifts towards godliness. And so what we see oftentimes in other people's lives is a quote-unquote um, you know, final product, even though nobody's a final product. It's like watching great athletes, Tom Brady or LeBron James or Michael Jordan, and then going out on the basketball court and then getting all down on yourself going, well, I don't play like them. And the reality is, is that there's been a lot of hard work. There's been other things that have gone on. The same is true, listen, when you meet somebody, a Christian who is emotionally mature, right? Are those unicorns, right? Emotionally mature people, what, right? Emotionally mature, spiritually mature. Listen, I will show you somebody who has lived a long and dedicated life of seeking and setting their mind on the things that are above. So what does this look like? Listen, I want to be very, very helpful for us today. I want to give you a couple heavenly habits that I think that, listen, you can start this today. Okay, I'm trying to do everything that we can to get on the same page to pursue what God has already provided. What are some things that we can do? First one, um, start your day in God's Word. I don't know about you. Okay, I'm going to put my Bible right over here because it's not thus saith the Lord. It's just Jason. This is just my advice. Okay, 
Your thoughts control your day, man. What you believe determines how you behave. Nobody lies to you more than you do, all right? That's, I love you. I'm just being honest with you. And maybe it doesn't have to be like, I'm not saying 5 a.m., 3 a.m., you got to get up and read for four and a half. I'm not saying any of that. But what I am saying is, how massively important is it in a world that is constantly lying to us and that before you leave for work, you've been bombarded with a million different messages that say you can find happiness and seek and pursue everything else. How important is it for the first thoughts of our day to be the very words of God? To be the very words of God. That the trajectory for the rest of the day is determined by the food that we fed our... Listen, we have Bible reading plans out there. There's a number of resources that you can do to help yourself with this. And then secondly, start your day in silence and in prayer. One of the things that we do with our kids, we don't do it every day. And I hate saying that because it's not like, oh, we've got this nailed down. By no means, goodness gracious, okay? But on Mondays when we start the week... Right before we head out, I take them into a side room. We sit. I have them take three deep breaths. We sit Indian style or crisscross applesauce if you have small children. We take three deep breaths. We sit in silence for one minute, right? And they squirm and wiggle and do all of that stuff. We say the Lord's Prayer out loud together. I look at Roman. And I say, Roman, you are my son, and I love you, and nothing will ever change that. I look at Andy, and I say, Andy Grace, you are my daughter, and I love you, and nothing will ever change that. And then we go out the day. Listen, lightning bolts don't come from heaven or anything like that. But listen, we're trying to have heavenly habits. I need this. I need those moments, right? And silence is something that I'm learning and trying so much in my prayer life because I think that we think that prayer is rattling off our needs or getting great revelations from God or this, that, and the other. But have you noticed that if you're really comfortable in a relationship with somebody, you can ride in a car with them for eight hours, not even say a word, and just know like, oh, yeah, this is just... I think the way that we're not able to be still and know that he's God is evidence that the relationship, to be able to sit at our Father's feet, right? Um, the third thing, pray the Lord's Prayer throughout the day, morning, noon, and evening. This is midday. I've been trying to do a midday prayer. I have an alarm set on my phone, okay? Guys, I'm trying to make this as practical as we can. Why the Lord's Prayer? Well, number one, because Jesus gave it to us, okay? But I think it's a model for what Jesus wants our prayer life to look like. And so rather than Christians are pretty notorious for saying, you know, I got my quiet time early in the morning today, check off the box, throw the Bible in the glove department, and then live like hell for the rest of the day, okay? That's not what we're talking about. We want an abiding relationship as to what that is. Um, meditate on God's word throughout the day. This is going to take your Bible reading to a whole new level. This is when you're reading the Bible, you find a word. That's what I do every day. Listen, I'm a simple man. I went to public school. The butter has slid off my biscuit many days of my life, okay? I look for one word when I'm reading my Bible. One word that I try to take with me for the rest of the day. When I had first gotten saved and was trying to rewire my brain and everything else like that, I would write little note cards and scripture verses and place them everywhere. Write them on your mirror at the house. Set them at the lock screen on your phone. Listen, we have never in the history of humanity has the word of God been so available yet not read and studied by his people. 
We have everything available to us but to pursue and to seek that. And then lastly, make it a priority to gather with God's people weekly. I know what you're saying. Well, of course he said that. He's the preacher. <laughs> okay? Listen, I'm, then don't come back next week. All right? I don't know. All right? I'm not selling anything, but here's what I'm saying. We forget who we are constantly. And what it is to get... Do you know we do the call to worship every week? Have you, have you stopped to listen? There's a reason why we do everything that we do. Have you listened to those words in that call to worship? For those who sin and need a Savior? For those who feel worthless and wonder if God cares? This church opens wide its red doors in the name of Jesus Christ, friend of sinners. This is the place where you come when everything else and everything else in the world is lying to you that you come and you hear good news of what Jesus Christ has done. And so getting involved, the men, the women, all of these things, listen, are not... I have to say this, listen. We don't do these things so God will love us. We do these things to expose ourselves to God's love for us. And here's what I see. Can I just be honest with you? Here's what I see. Like, I'm gonna, this is going to pinch a little bit. You know when the dentist says this is going to pinch a little bit and it really hurts so bad you want to punch him in the face? This is what this is going to be like, but I love you, okay? Oftentimes, people are like, oh, pastor, I, I need to meet with you. I need your time. I'm in this moment of crisis. I need to, and what we need is a silver bullet. And I need you to be there in the moment. And I need you to hold my hand. And I need you to, and once I start asking questions of, Hey, have you built any relationship? Hey, have you been able to come maybe to the men's or to the women's? Or are you involved? Hey, how, are you reading through the Bible with us this year? There's nothing. And I say that to say this. God has done all the work. But all we have to do is pursue what God has already provided for us in Christ. So listen, in closing, um, I think this is what this is like. What does it look like for you to pursue the life that God's provided for you? We're going to say no to some other things. I mean, we're going to get into that next week. We're going to get boots on the ground. There's some real stuff in our lives, and we're playing with stuff that we should not be playing with. But long before we ever get into that, we have to know who we are. Um, there was a moment a couple of years ago when we were on family vacation, and we were on the beach, and Piper Graham was playing and we were all getting down into the ocean, and she wouldn't come. She was just playing. The tide had come up, and it just created this little pool, and she kept saying, but this water's warm. This water's warm, right? And she kept playing there in the puddle, and finally it was like I went and got her and put her. I was like, baby girl, there's an ocean over here, okay? You're playing in a dirty puddle. It's got a cigarette butt in it or something like that. Like, what are you doing? Look at all of this that's available over here. I think every time we get entangled in sin and pursue other identities and pursue this stuff, I think God looks at us this way. And it's like, my child, what are you playing in that little bitty puddle for? Look, there's an ocean of grace over here. We are so satisfied with far too little of what God has provided for us. But there's some reality here. Why do we stay in the puddle? It's because it's safe. It's because you're used to it. It's a lot safer. Not a lot of risk in here. 
When we were out in the ocean, Piper would have to hold my hand. There were a couple of waves that just took her out, slammed her into the sand and all of that stuff. And she had to hold her daddy's hand when she was in the ocean. It was riskier, but she was with her daddy. What does it look like for you today to leave the puddle? To really pursue the life that God's provided for you in Christ. It'll be scary. It'll be big waves. But you'll have your daddy's hand. Wessa, would you stand to your feet and let us pray how Jesus taught us to pray. Stand to your feet and lift our voices out loud together today. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as your children. God, if we're honest, some of us in this room today have been gone away from home for a long time. But just as the prodigal son saw his father from far off, the father ran and greeted him, so you greet your children as well. God, I just feel very heavily in my spirit today that there are many of us in this room that are playing in a puddle. And we're not pursuing the life, Jesus, that you've purchased for us. It's an ocean of grace. Many of us have built our identities on so many things in here. And, and we're even starting to feel threatened. We're getting defensive in our relationships. And God, if we were honest, if we could be like a small child and be honest with you, we would begin to weep because we're so exhausted at living that life. We're anxious. We're fearful. There's no joy. Holy Spirit, would you remind us today of our identity and, and who we are? May there be just one person in here so bold today who's never submitted their life to Christ. They've never said, today I understand the good news. I know what God's done for me. I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. Holy Spirit, may you make it happen in this place. Convict those that need convicting. Comfort those that need comforting. And compel us to pursue what you've already provided. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.